Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to advance in leadership, then this podcast is for you. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker, and Monique Marquez, senior corporate leader, ex-Googler, and diversity expert. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for this episode. At some point in our lives, we've all engaged in creative activities simply for casual enjoyment or as a hobby. From painting to writing to cooking or singing, there are many ways that creativity plays a part in our daily lives. But creative expression is far more than a hobby or a vocation. Throughout history, creativity has played a role in many aspects of human life. From technological advancements to mental health and well-being, creative expression can unlock the roadblocks and barriers and fuel innovation and success. Meet our podcast guest and my good friend, Sheila Darcy, who's the founder of Sketch Poetic, a creative expression practice for emotional healing and transformation. Sheila's purpose is to elevate art as a tool for healing and be a catalyst to transform lives. Sheila is an innovator who has been instrumental in shaping the culture and diversity of companies and is a strong advocate for women's leadership and empowerment across organizations. In this episode, Sheila shares what led her to become a health and wellness advocate, why daily self-care is so important, and how creative expression can help you remove roadblocks and unlock your transformation. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Sheila. All right. This is going to be such a fun conversation, Sheila, because I am thrilled to welcome you back to the Beyond Bears podcast. We talked, uh, gosh, what was it? Mid 2020. Yeah, and it's been almost we, two years. Exactly. It's been almost two years. And we had this amazing conversation that so many people resonated with. But in two years, the world has continued to be crazy and uh, has changed in so many ways. And so have you. Um, and so uh, I wanted to welcome you back to the show and uh, give uh, our audience an opportunity to learn about everything you're seeing and everything you're doing and share your wisdom with the world. So welcome. Thank you. I've been so excited and looking forward to this conversation as always. Appreciate you having me here. Absolutely. So let's start off with uh, where we began over the uh, last two years. I mean, we spoke at uh, the early days of the pandemic. And since then, we've had wars erupt, economic setbacks, the great resignation, all kinds of things. Women have been disproportionately affected, but so are families and people all over the world. Um, you are someone who is an observer of uh, trends and uh, themes. What do you see? What, what is the headline that you have seen emerge over the last two years? Well, it's not going to be surprising to hear me say it, but it's all going to be focused on health and wellness. I am seeing a huge trend, which is good, positive, on the conversations around emotions. You know, Brené Brown just brought up, brought up, you know, sorry, released her new book, Atlas of the Heart. It's getting great reviews. More and more people are talking about going to see a therapist, um, dealing with their emotional and mental health. At the same time, we're also dealing with integration back into the and I put, quote, unquote, the real world, right? The mass mm -hmm. mandates are starting to lessen. And so what I'm seeing, Nikki, is a culmination of awareness, mm -hmm. but also the desire to move forward. 
and that that tension of wanting to move forward, but also trying to address what has come up. And so that tension, I think, is bringing up a lot of stuff for people. And mm-hmm. so that's the reason why I believe my work is resonating, because when you think about addressing your mental and emotional health, it can be a heavy conversation. I was joking with mm-hmm. you earlier that sometimes I feel there's this connotation to talking about mental health feeling really heavy and people wanting mm-hmm. to avoid the conversation. But because I talk about it in the sphere of art and creativity, it softens the conversation. And that's really the yeah. intention of my book was to address that that softening of something that's very difficult to talk about. Yeah. You know, what What you bring up in terms of that tension between what's coming up and the desire to move forward um, also gets even more complex because mental health historically has so much stigma associated with it, right? And in particular yeah. cultures, it's even more so. You and I are both immigrants, of, you know, that come from very traditional Asian cultures where it's uh, such a no-no to even mention it, let alone seek help or yeah. you know, be open about uh, your struggle. So uh, tell, uh, tell us a little bit more about kind of what that has, uh, how that tension can be addressed and um, what you have seen people uh, you know, do in that context. So one of the biggest things that I've noticed in terms of tension is my own healing. So when I talk about healing, I always emphasize the ING. I I don't consider myself ever healed. It is going to be a lifetime. You know, I talk about ancestral wounds and, you know, multi-generational trauma all the time. Those types of that those types of healing and those types of lessons are so big that you can only handle them uh, you know, little micro micro bits at a time. And so one of the things that I feel creates that tension is this idea of how often we disconnect and dissociate from our bodies. And mm. oftentimes you hear about those things and you think trauma. But what I realized as I reflect, and even I talk about this in my book, how much me being a businesswoman and an entrepreneur and, and even just somebody that's in the corporate environment, how much that served me to disconnect. Because mm. being a workaholic, right? Being being a workaholic, being completely consumed by work is yet mm-hmm. another, it's just another example of not feeling into your body. So what's changed for me in the past two years, Nikki, is I used to not only not feel my body, but I was never really in my body. And I know it sounds like a, the same thing as it isn't because I'm going through it right now and it feels very different to be in my body. And what it means is you realize how much weight you carry. And as an entrepreneur, you carry it for your employees, you carry it for your stakeholders. We don't realize how much we take on. And so mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that I've seen is how much people are carrying in their bodies and how much they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not allowing themselves to release it. Which is why we see so much of the stress turn into burnout and, uh, you know, people opting out because it's become so hard to take on for long periods of time. But uh, illustrate more specifically what it means to be in your body, like with an example, maybe showing like what it is to be or not to be in that context. I'm going to give you a vulnerable moment. There was a moment I had recently where I was in my head. Right. And I was in my head because what I was experiencing was too much. It was overwhelming to process. So I was thinking about all the, you know, all the ways that I was going to preempt it and get ahead of it because that's my mm. go-to. That's a disconnect. But what I'm doing is I'm up here. I'm not feeling my body. In the middle of that moment, when I was going through that, again, it's just auto- autopilot. I mm-hmm. said, Sheila, get in your heart. 
I got in my heart and I swear I, my body kind of like felt like a bag of potatoes. It almost, the sensation that I describe it is imagine when you allow yourself to go from here to here, you allow yourself to actually fully resign into the vessel that we were given. So we're souls mm. in a human experience, right? So if we actually allow ourselves to be in our bodies, you realize the heaviness. And a simple example is when you're walking on the beach, if you're heavy footed, right? It, in the way we, uh, our presence in the world, if you're clumsy, it's, it's just that lack of awareness of the physical space we take up. It's not mm -hmm. just, just, it's just the way we move through the world. We often don't, aren't conscious of it. I certainly wasn't. I was mm -hmm. not conscious of how much space I was taking up, even though I was trying to keep myself small. Again, mm -hmm. duality, right? Taking up yeah. a lot of space, but feeling very small in that space. Mm. That's powerful. So, you know, you brought up the topic of health and wellness as the emerging headline that mm -hmm. was so needed um, to be out in the open. It's, you know, that that's the big thing that has happened is for the first time, especially in a business or corporate context, there's conversations about mental health and about wellness and about self-care that was never talked about before and certainly not acceptable. Um, yeah. So that shift has happened. Uh, what do you see as like the most important things for business leaders to embrace in that context and for individuals to see for themselves? It's a simple answer, follow through. And it's not about marketing. And this is happening across all industries, not just the business world. I'm seeing it in the mm -hmm. health and wellness space. It's become really sexy and relevant to be talking about mental health. And I love mm -hmm. it. I'm very, I'd rather be on this side of the fence, by the way, where mm -hmm. it is it's much more destigmatized, as you and I were talking about, to talk about mental health. But then what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing it in the crypto space that I've been in, I'm seeing it in the health and wellness space and the physical spaces, people talk about it, but they don't walk the walk. Mm -hmm. Right? In they what way? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just a lot of lip service. So if you are an organization, if you are a brand talking about mental health, first, listen to your employees, because the biggest mistake we make is we think we know what's going to solve people's problems. Mm. Part of the reason I'm so passionate about my book is I call it a tool, because I'm not claiming to solve or heal anybody. I'm not claiming to be a therapist. What I am claiming is this is a tool that helped me. It may be a tool that helps you. Now, this tool may not be the tool for you, but there's a slew of other tools in the tool belt. So what I encourage organizations and brands to talk about is what are the different tools that people are wanting to have an affinity towards? It may mm -hmm. be a sound bath. It may be a, a person talking about the story and, and talking about resilience. It may be creativity, dancing. It could be any one of the breath work. But mm -hmm. don't assume you take one breath work class and then that's going to mm -hmm. be one size fits all. And that's, yeah. that's the pitfall I'm seeing is that we, we, we're putting a very, very quick quick rewards on these things. And it's not a one size fits all issue. Yeah. So what you're recommending is that there's a variety of tools out there. Uh, find one that is a fit for you, find one that is makes sense for you, but find something and make it a priority. And yet that's the very thing that for a lot of women in the workplace um, is uh, a challenge to create space for because of the me time. In fact, um, just yesterday I came across this really interesting stat. There was a study done by Harvard and London Business School that discovered that over the course of 
the pandemic, it added something like 12 extra days of chores for mm -hmm. women, 12 extra days. But the year does not have 12 more days. So the only way those 12 full days were accommodated was by essentially losing me time, right? So if you're a working mom, you don't, you have more work on your plates. The only thing you will give up is yourself, right? And, and we hear that a lot from the Beyond Barriers community as well of creating space for ourselves, like women that are ambitious and successful, but really don't know how to make space for any self-care. Yeah. How does one incorporate and how have you done that? Because you too are a very busy, you know, yeah. um, ambitious professional. Yeah. Gosh, if there was a one answer to this, I think we'd solve a lot of the world's problems. <laughs> but I'm going to give you the thing that changed my life. And we, you hear about it, but really living and breathing the idea of mindfulness. Mm. The reality is if your plate's full, it's always going to be full. Because if you have that in your personality, I still have a mm. full plate. The difference is, Nikki, when I see my full plate, and if it is a chore, or it could be a business meeting, or it could be going to my daughter, you know, an event with my daughter or doing something with my husband, am I being present in that moment? Because that's, that's the thing that I realized I wasn't doing. And in the act of doing all these things in the act of being busy, I told you busy was, and I wrote this in the book, busy was my vocation. It was a badge mm -hmm. of honor. So I'm going to answer it a little differently. What we value is what we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the business world or society or humanity encouraging us to be workaholics and burning out. It's because we value what? We value the road, the path and process that got us there. The grit mm -hmm. and and uh, all the things that you hear about, like, you know, burnout mm -hmm. is like a badge of honor. Badge of honor. Yeah, it is. So the answer to your question is we have to change the value system. Mm. And it takes a while to do that, but it starts with you. Because mm -hmm. if I prescribe to the value system that society tells me, then now, now I've embodied that value system. So when mm -hmm. what changed my life and what transformed my life is I started to devalue the very things that I used to value. I used to value mm -hmm. working hard to the point of burnout. I actually mm -hmm. did. I, I was like, good job. You know, I used yeah. to value when people told me, God, Sheila, you're so busy. You're killing it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear that anymore. In fact, when somebody says to me, you're busy, I try to correct them and say, yes, I do have a full plate, but I do try to be present in that. In that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's, it's a value system change. It actually isn't anything different, but it is to change people's value systems is a whole nother ballgame. Right. But at the same time, it could be very quick and very simple because it's in your hands. So exactly. it's, it's like flipping the switch for yourself because when you are able to discover what truly matters and change that value, you can make that change pretty quickly. And, yeah. you know, oftentimes, if you're not doing it for yourself, sometimes circumstances force that. I think that's happened for you and for me where external <laughs> circumstances or some sort of event has caused like a massive flip. And, you know, and it's an opportunity to step into the moment and, you know, create a whole new perspective and whole new value system that allows you to thrive. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm excited about that conversation because a lot of the youth or certainly the generations that are entering the workforce right now, Nikki, are, are learning their value systems in the workplace. And it's yeah. because of, there's a lot, I mean, there's, we can go much deeper into this conversation around the spiritual world and, and just your belief systems. And we are at a generation where more and more people are abandoning religion or any form of, uh, mm -hmm. of that. But it doesn't mean we don't have a need for, to believe in something greater than ourselves. Right. Yeah. So what happens is people are looking to businesses, corporations, and of course, 
what's in the media as, mm -hmm. as that definition of value system. So that's why I implore people to go in because we don't realize or question what we value. I didn't, mm. I just, yeah. I just right? and, and a lot of it was my upbringing as well, being Asian. I prescribed yeah. all those value systems and never questioned it. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of youth, uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, something you've always been very passionate about, about developing young talent and being a, a mentor and uh, a guide. Um, you, in addition to all of the work that you do across business and innovation and art, uh, you're also very involved in the metaverse and crypto and NFT. What's the connection? Uh, they seem like such different <laughs> worlds. What's the connection? It's so interesting, Nikki. My daughter, who's just turned 14, can't stand NFTs. So, and it's because of the environmental impact, right? There's a very mm. huge opposition to the NFT space for environmental impact. There's also a lot of misinformation, but to answer your question, and I'm glad I get to talk about it. What I've observed is more and more people, no matter how much we're going to try to fight it, technology and humanity are coming closer and closer together to where they're becoming mm. one, right? The, this idea of a digital human or a technologically advanced person, all of those things. And there's so much fear around it. So I'm always going to speak from emotions. Mm -hmm. The moment fear invades any situation or any subject matter, it is going to be polarizing. So the answer is the reason I'm there is that's where people are. And if mm -hmm. I want to do the work that I want to do, which is have people go inward and using art as a tool to heal, I have to go where they're at. All the youth are there, whether they grew up with social media. There is no mm. world before technology for them. So for me to avoid and to, to judge and criticize people, and especially youth that are in there, because that's the only truth they know, is to mm -hmm. abandon all of those people. So that's the first reason is I, I'm there because that's where the, the people that I need to reach are, in addition to the ones in the physical world. The second is the metaverse is a microcosm so what's really fascinating i've immersed myself in it for the past year and a bit it is an accelerated microcosm of society mm -hmm. so the two aspects that i'm particularly into is the innovation the tech innovation that's happening mm. but also the creative art sovereignty mm. so there's a lot of creative sovereignty happening but all of the wounds i talk about in my book about me overcoming this idea of being an artist and my issues with money and my relationship with money it's all coming to the head in the metaverse. It, mm. is truly, it is truly the place where you're learning and educating on all the ways you're going to get triggered. It's triggering everyone. And so all the spaces I hold, Nikki, are around addressing and talking about what is happening to your mental and emotional health in a space mm. that is truly amplifying all the things that you're trying to avoid in the physical world. It's happening here. So let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that comes to mind as you're describing that is um, there is a, a lot of latent interest, if you will, about everything Web3, right? Um, you know, especially in the business or corporate world, there's curiosity about it, but there's also this hesitation and fear of diving into it. And here you are diving full on, you know, holding space, leading in that. Um, how did you go about learning and mastering all of these new concepts and figuring it out? Because there's some there's, there's power to that as well, right? Because anyone can do it, but our fear of the unknown or something different from what we know prevents us from even discovering it. 
what advice would you give to someone who is perhaps curious but hasn't taken that first step? Uh, your answer is in the question I was going to say. It was also the theme in our first podcast. If you go into the metaverse Web3 with a curiosity and mm-hmm. play, you will do just fine. The issue that I have seen, whether it's a big brand or an artist or a collector or a curator, all of the people that I'm seeing in this space, the moment you go into it to make money, to mm. be seen, all the things that you to establish yourself, you're going to hit a ton of walls because there's nothing different about the metaverse, like I said, that isn't happening in yeah. the real world. It's actually more accelerated. However, I went in with pure curiosity. I mean, you and I have been in the innovation space for a long time. I knew. Mm. I knew yeah. something was happening. I just yeah. felt intuitively. So the first thing is I trusted my intuition. And then I was just playing. So I basically went into all the NFT platforms. I minted on each one, not with the idea to sell an NFT. If I did that, I think mm-hmm. it would have been a very different experience. I just wanted to play. And the mm-hmm. more I did, and then the second thing is a superpower that I call is listening. I mm-hmm. was on Clubhouse a ton. I mean, it was kind of a running joke. I got addicted to Clubhouse for a while. But I realized I got addicted because I was really immersing myself in the conversations and listening. It mm. was the opposite of where I am today. I'm doing a lot more talking. I'm talking about my book. But for mm. a good six months, I was in listen mode. <laughs> and so listening is a huge superpower in, in, the, in real life. But if you can go into the space and just listen, pay attention, and then go with where your heart takes you. Intuition for me is number one. First and foremost, trust your gut. You, yeah. you know, you you know when you're going into spaces that aren't that don't feel good, that feel very yeah. like TV. It's all about money, and it's all about yeah. that's all that's all it's about. That's not yeah. what the metaverse is about. What if you could pinpoint the invisible ceilings limiting your success? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers, so you can take action and gain unstoppable momentum to advance as a future ready leader. Well, that's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz will help you discover. You'll get your personalized score based on the 25 essential elements proven to accelerate success in the digital age, so you can understand what's holding you back and where to focus your efforts. The Beyond Barriers quiz is completely free and takes just a few minutes. Go to IamBeyondBarriers.com slash quiz and take the quiz today. So intuition is an interesting topic that has come up several times. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective as someone who, you know, uh, shares so much wisdom, why is it that we don't trust our intuition much more often? Mm. Because it's something that we all have the gift for, right? And yet, you know, instead of trusting our gut around people or situations or circumstances, we rely on data or rational thinking and well, <laughs> I can only answer for myself in the hope that it resonates, but I think it will. There was a time in my journey, Nikki, where I realized how much I put intellect on a pillar. Mm-hmm. I put intellect way above intuition, way above people mm-hmm. I was attracted to, the, the, energetically people I, I found myself inspired by. I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, their intellect is so sexy. It's so like appealing to me. What ended up happening is I started going inward and a lot of that wisdom, like you said, that inner wisdom, ancestral wisdom, just listening to what the the world is trying to tell us and then questioning everything. 
I started to value my own wisdom, my own insights mm -hmm. to the point where intuition and intellect started to become the same. Mm -hmm. And what ends up happening is they feed each other. So it's not like I think any less of intellect. And, and mm -hmm. I think of intellect, I don't think book smarts only. Mm -hmm. I think of intellect as curiosity and the ability to question what you believe. It's the act mm -hmm. of, you know, just, you know, philosophers, just question. Questioning mm -hmm. yeah. is intellectual. Um, so what had the answer is I started to value my intuition because I started to realize the power when I listened to it and started to see evidence of it. So part mm -hmm. of the answer to your question is people need to see the evidence of trusting your intuition, mm. right? So it's baby steps. So it could be as simple as, I mean, this is a silly example. How often do we go and somebody says, what do you want on your menu? And you go, what do you want? <laughs> and you don't really ever question. Your first gut was to eat that greasy pizza that you know is bad for you. My point is, that's your intuition was saying. And then, of course, you can rationalize all the reasons why you shouldn't mm -hmm. eat that pizza. But that's an example of your intuition saying, that's what I want. But then, of mm -hmm. course, acknowledging that that's what your intuition was saying. Okay. I'm giving that very basic example because it's yeah. relatable. It is yeah. relatable. Our gut tells us all kinds of stuff. And it's not always going to guide us to the right places. But that's where the intellect comes in and you can balance your yeah. rationalization. But we often ignore the intuition altogether. Uh, but don't you feel like some of that also has to do with being in tune with yourself because your intuition gets so much louder when you're really in tune versus being disconnected from it? Well, yeah. So, the, yes. But the reason being is we don't talk about the body. I love that you answered it in that way, Nikki. The biggest focus of my book, if you read the chapters, mm -hmm. is my connecting back to my body. I'm going to hit that over and over again. Mm -hmm. Intuition is in this third eye thing. It is part of it. It isn't just the third eye. It isn't just this spidey senses. I feel like that's what humanity and society has taught us. Intuition is this like surreal, like mystical thing. Yeah. It is, of course. But you know how much your body tells us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my body tells me when I'm doing something wrong or when I'm doing something right. So yeah. the answer to your question is pay attention to your body, even if you don't think you're intuitive. Just pay attention mm -hmm. to your body, dude. Anyone yeah. can do that. Anyone can yeah. pay attention to your body. Yeah, that's and it says every time. Even uh, you know, I was having a similar uh, conversation with someone who was very lost about their career, and was torn about two different opportunities. And all he had to do was observe their body language, and you knew what the right answer was. And it's sort of like, are you so even true. looking at yourself or yeah. paying attention? Because your body language just tells you what's the right answer. And if you just simply follow that, you would follow the energy and enthusiasm that would take you places. There's so. an inner peace and calmness that comes that regulates your body when you're doing the thing that you want to do. Yeah. And I find I still get anxious. So it's not like I said, I'm healed from anxiety, but I notice I cannot, I, I have a hard time sitting still when I'm being counter to what my body's trying to tell me. Mm. My body wants to be calm. My body wants to be regulated, but I'm biting it up here because mm. I'm so scared of what is it. Because the truth is, Nikki, and we all know this, oftentimes the thing, the very thing we want to do is scary as F, you know, it's scary mm -hmm. because it flies, flies against the face of the path that we're probably already on. And that's, the yeah. fear, you know, yeah. Change. Change is always change a and unknown. Yep. Yeah. Always. So, um, and uh, for everything that we have all experienced as humanity of the last two years is massive change, massive disruption, and massive uncertainty in every way. 
Um, you wrote your book as a, a guide, as a tool to help people navigate through that. So let's get into that. So first off, um, it's it's been such a gift, and I'm you know so thrilled that you gave this gift to the world. Um, but first, before we dive into the book, um, share a little bit about what the inspiration was. What got you to that point first? To write the book, it was never on my bucket list to write a book. What I wanted to do was scale. We talk about, you and I talked mm -hmm. about scale yeah. a lot when we work together. In order for us to scale, we, we don't always know how we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. And the book presented itself through my writing partner, Rachel, had reached out and she said, look, you've changed my life. She had been observing my journey, but I couldn't do enough workshops. I couldn't physically be everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. writing a book was honestly a very practical reason. And the way mm -hmm. the book is written is in it, it, I've kind of visualized it as me sitting next to you. I, I've mm -hmm. written it as much tone of that as possible so that mm -hmm. I'm holding your hand. It, it, it's mm -hmm. written with that much love. But I couldn't answer this question without going here, but I'm going to go here. Is I also felt like it was a divine calling or a gift because there was a moment when I was sketching daily that I felt like I was tapping into something greater than myself that wasn't even about me, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's call it purpose, call it you know, call it whatever you want to call it. But when you're living a purpose-driven life, oftentimes the answers come to you. And the book came to me. I didn't make the book happen. The book was presented to me, and I I, I answered the call because writing a book was terrifying for me. I'm a very punchy writer. I like to write condensed, short form mm -hmm. content like Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrifying to write. Are you freaking <laughs> kidding me? So yeah, yeah. I, I have to answer is it was both practical, but it was also a yeah. divine calling to, to write this book. And so what was the experience like? And within that, I also want to make sure you uh, share, you know, your practice of daily sketching, because that in itself is such an incredible thing. So first of all, how many days of sketching to date? Um, and then what was the journey of writing like? April 19th, 2017. So April 19th will be my five-year anniversary. Can you wow. believe it? Hard to believe, yeah. Five years of daily sketching. Five yeah. years of daily sketching. And some sketches yeah. lately have been 10 minutes, like very quick, but I just do it yeah. muscle memory. But By yeah. the way, that takes you to the 10,000 hour mark, you know, that whole idea. Oh, is uh, that idea. true? Yeah. So, you know how they say to become an expert at anything, yeah. you know, it takes 10,000 hours and it's typically 2,000 hours uh, a year, right? You think about it that way. So, usually it's like, you know, the five-year mark is supposed to be like that idea of, uh, you know, consistency is what drives uh, yeah. success in any realm um, and the, you know, true expertise development. So, I didn't congratulations. Know together. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Wow. 10,000 hours. Awesome. <laughs> more because I, I create a lot. Um, but yeah, so that's that's really, I forgot where the question was. <laughs> so we were talking about what the process of uh, writing the book was like. Oh, yeah, I will just share because that process was very arduous because I, I did not consider myself a writer. If anything, it was mm -hmm. a gift because at that point, I was three years into my daily sketching, Nikki, and I'd lost a little bit of the memory of what it was like to sketch again for the first time. Mm. experiencing all those doubts and fears and critic writing a book. So all mm. that stuff came up for me because I'm like, oh, I'm not a good writer. Is, is this going to connect? And 
God, am I too full of myself? Why, why am I talking about this? I'm not an expert. All this stuff came up. But yeah. I will say this about my book that really was really important is there was a point where I did hit a wall. They call, you know, everyone calls it a writer's block. Mm. My writer's block was I was writing for everyone. Mm. Shocker because of my wound. I want to please everyone. And I got to a point where I was writing for the veteran, for the homeless youth, for the businesswoman, for the mother, for the child, all the people I had met at my workshops. And I just prayed and meditated. And I said, who am I writing this for? And the answer was as clear as day. It was for my 15-year-old self. And when mm. I was 15 is when I started to have an eating disorder. It's the mm. day, it's the year and day that I started finding unhealthy ways to purge all the stuff happening inside of me because I didn't know how to release it. I didn't mm. know ways to express it in a healthy way. And the moment, and it, it, still, it still creates emotion in my heart when I think about this book being written to my, for my 15-year-old self. It was also the year I started abandoning my art. Mm. So it really yeah. is life coming full circle for you, you yes. know, from yes. writing the book for your younger self and then, you know, reclaiming that part and uh, through that process, healing so many others that, you know, get this book in their hands. Thank so. you. Yeah. And that that's relatable for people in their adulthood because people turn to alcohol or people turn mm -hmm. to addiction as a way. For me, it was eating disorders, like whatever it is. And some, again, not even on the heavy, like I think of it, the extremes in which we cope with our trauma mm -hmm. or pain, addiction and all those things are here. But again, I see it in the business world, disconnecting and disassociating and, and being out of your body and being a workaholic and burning out is another unhealthy form of survival, mm -hmm. right? We just don't, yeah. it's just not as, it's not as stigmatized. It's more, yeah. it's, if anything, it's more accepted to, to yeah. be a workaholic. Yeah. But I think it becomes, um, easy to spot when you're that aware when you start to see people that are operating on autopilot no matter how uh, much they've achieved or been successful because you can tell that they're you know racing towards a brick wall right and uh, you know the importance of gaining that self-awareness to find ways to cope in healthy ways or make changes that are healthy yeah um there's a lot. Some, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no. It's. I. I think it becomes. Uh, I think it's as important for the individual as it is for organizations to do that because the way in which we work is only going to get more automated, more intense, more distributed, and remote. That in the absence of connection, you know, like the way we, when in our early days of working, being able to like hang out at the office and go out to lunch or like, yeah. you know, chit-chatting around, you know, the water cooler, things like that. When you don't have that sense of community and connection as much because you're all virtual teams and you're just on Zoom calls back to back to back, that adds a whole different layer of stress beyond just even the workload and the absence mm -hmm. of connection, the isolation it produces um, is only creating a workforce that is going to get more unhealthy unless there are structures and solutions for it. Yeah. And, and the reason I, I apologize for interrupting you there is what was coming up for me is there's a lot of parallels with my struggles with eating disorders as a teen with what I'm seeing in the world because it's all about consuming, right? Mm. Technology, there's so much content coming at us. There's so much energy coming at us. 
and we tend to consume. And, and that's what binging is. You're just consuming food, consuming. Mm. And what, what you're doing though is you're consuming to numb. You're consuming to mm. feel nothing. And I do believe that's what social media does. That's why mm. any sort of consumption, consumerism, just buying stuff, shop, you know, mm. retail therapy, all of those things, they're, they're just accessible to all of us. And so I keep on trying to draw connections. I feel my, I feel mm. like my role in this world, Nikki, is to build bridges because there's nothing I'm talking about that is original uh, or that is new. The way I'm talking about it is, is trying to break it down in a way that's relatable right? I'm mm-hmm. not an art therapist, but people understand that what I do is art therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a psychologist, but people understand that when you feel your body, that that is the whole idea of regulating your body. I think just talking about it in these simplistic terms is really helpful, but that's because I'm trying to make it bite-sized. So you don't have mm-hmm. to consume a lot of information to learn anything, but I think that's the way we've been taught and certainly the way, again, we've been rewarded. The more yeah. information we consume, the smarter we are. It's actually the opposite. Yeah. The, the more yeah. pure and, and we think about what we're consuming, whether that's content or value systems, we actually question what we consume before we actually consume it. You find you don't want to consume as much. Mm. Just don't. So, but how, how does someone interrupt that pattern though? Because that's easier said than done when your entire conditioning is about consumption. How yeah, do ask you questions. It, it's easier said than done. I mean, I, I'm so happy you emphasized that, Nikki. And the reason I'm going to continue to talk about art, when we create, it slows us down. That's it. Mm. It slows us down and it is truly one of And it makes us mindful as well. Yeah, I was going to say it was the most natural way to be present. Mm -hmm. So it's not a coincidence that that was the only thing that made me stop thinking. (laughs) It was not a coincidence that was the only thing that got me to, to be less frenetic. So, yeah, of course, I'm going to go to art as the answer every time because that's what changed my life. And when mm. I say art, I'm talking about the arts, right? Dance, music, photography. I know you're an incredible photographer. I hope people get to see that side of you, but you're an incredible writer. All of these things. My daughter loves to sing. She is singing all mm-hmm. the time. That is all creative expression. That is the arts. Mm. So the answer yeah. is go, go to what I'm trying to promote, which is creativity. Yeah. In, in that yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you phrased it about uh, creative expression is a powerful form of slowing down and being present, being mindful. And when we're able to do that, we're far more conscientious about the choices we make and what we consume and what we uh, and and avoiding the numbing process. So let's dive into some of the content from your book. Um, you know. Uh, Share maybe some of the key themes, um, you know, biggest takeaways uh, or you have for someone who hasn't heard about your book yet and is curious about it. What's important for me to communicate to people about my book is the scaffolding. So I want to give credit to my writing partner, Rachel. The reason I wanted her in the book and be part of the book is she's an art teacher, professor, art professor, and she's also done the work. And scaffolding matters, right? In the business world, you need mm-hmm. a good foundation. And she helped me lay that foundation. And so did my editor, Joel from uh, Macmillan. But basically, it's written in three ways. And all three ways, sorry, three parts. And all three parts are intended to help you connect with the practice. So there's mm-hmm. a narrative. The narrative is 50% my story, 50% people that have done my workshop sharing their story of how art and creativity has helped them. Then I put prompts in there. 
Mm. Prompts are there to help you actually do the practice and do the thing, experience it. And then I added the third component, which is the questioning, right? The, the questions are the same. And that's actually something that my editor guided me to do. I originally had different questions for each prompt, but he said, Sheila, it's too overwhelming. People need to be reinforced with the same question. So the five questions I ask are the same every chapter. And then mm. the testimonials was just really my love letter to the people that came to my workshops. Plus, it's an ability for people to see sketches that aren't mine, because if you jumped into the current of Sketch Poetic, it'd be very intimidating because you, you see my sketches and you're like, I'm not an artist. Mm. But when you look at the sketches that other people do, you realize it's not about art. And mm. that's the key. And then the last part I will share is it's written in a way where you don't have to read it cover to cover. Of course, that's beautiful if you want to do that. But even if just one chapter connects you to the idea where when you're creating and you've lost yourself in it and mm. you're starting to calm down, your heart beats slower, your breathing is regulating, man, if you get there, my book's done. Or if yeah. you get with someone that's, I feel like it's done, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What is your, uh, you know, uh, hope for someone who, you know, gets this book and, you know, what their experience is? I have a lot of hopes for it, but the biggest one is self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance, because that is the hardest thing of all the emotions that I've observed people trying to overcome. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize, and the word self in front of it is the key. I, I've spent my entire life loving and being compassionate and being empathetic and forgiving, and but I didn't do a lot of self-love, self-compassion, self-acceptance, mm -hmm. self-forgiveness. And that is the hardest thing. So if people can go inward and start to feel that for the first time or even deepening that feeling, man, yeah, that's, that, that is my hope. Yeah, I think, well, that's something we all need more of, right? Because yeah. uh, yeah. we're, we're, especially for women, we're a lot quicker to give than to, to give to others than we are to ourselves. And this is an incredible tool for being able to do just that. So I'm excited for everyone to get a copy of this amazing book and to give yourself a gift or to give it to someone you love and care about. Right. So speaking of books, let's, uh, you know, I'm just curious about some other questions. What book has greatly influenced you? I would say The Alchemist. I have a lot of books I love to read, but Alchemist. And the main reason is not only is it a profound, heroic journey or archetypal journey, but the idea is the answers are within if we just look and see the guideposts. But the other, the other part of it is the act, the act of storytelling. So one of the mm -hmm. things I did observe in the metaverse, Nikki, are, are people struggle to tell their story. They mm -hmm. either tell you in two hours what their story <laughs> is, or they don't feel comfortable telling their story. So the, what the alchemist showed me is the power of storytelling, to tell, mm -hmm. to speak your truth. But the more you tell your story, the more succinct and crystal, it become, crystal clear it becomes. And the alchemist is not a thick book. It's a small, mm -hmm. you know, it's a quick beach read type of book. And that's what I love about it. It's just, it packs yeah. in so much and so little. And it's because it, it, it really crystallizes this idea that if you can tell your life in a story, in a narrative way, it connects with people. And I think that's just such a profound way to connect. Well, that's exactly how humanity and culture have evolved, right? Through storytelling, yeah. through generations. And, uh, 
you know, change is not possible without the power of story. Um, you know, just like your story has inspired everyone. Uh, what's your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Yeah, Naya Snan is, is one of my favorite quotes. It's, it's the quote that I saw when I went to go see my therapist for the first time. I was with you. I remember meeting you for lunch right after at Beyond Curious. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I saw a therapist and he changed. My, I remember, remember, I was like so enthused yeah. about it. But there was a quote on the wall and this is the quote. And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. That's beautiful. And it's true. It got to a point. The reason I ended up seeing that therapist is the pain was too much to bear anymore to even actually hold it like I was doing mm. for all those years. So that mm -hmm. pain was, so now I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for, it. I'm going to blossom and it. I blossomed through it. But yeah. You do kind of sometimes, I think we're all invited to, have, sadly, we are sometimes invited to hit that point in our lives where yeah. that, that, that pain is too much to, to hold on to. Yeah. And, you know, for some of us, life intervened and we had to <laughs> blossom. But hopefully, you know, from our conversation, others, <laughs> others just make that choice for themselves. And, and you turn into fertilizer and you become the blossom. Yeah. yeah, there you go. I know it's like, you know, did you know that like life has a, a basement? <laughs> you know? Can we just talk about that for one second? Because that's that, yeah. my intuition is guiding me to bring this part of because that's the part that is coming up again and again you, yeah. in what's happening. When you don't learn a lesson, the lesson yeah. becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. And where are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. And, and I think you and I have experienced it very similarly that, you know, it, it's, it's like you hit rock bottom, but, and, you know, and at some point you keep going further down that like you don't realize there's actually a level below rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like a permanent resident there until you learn the lesson and yeah. you know because it hits you over your head over and over and over again and no matter how much you avoid it how much you ignore it it's going to keep coming back up so an easier path is just look it straight in the eye and learn the damn lesson <laughs> it's that quote <laughs> yeah exactly so um what is uh, a moniker that you use to describe yourself other than sketch poet, no, sketch poet, yeah. hands down. It's well, because Where did that come from? Uh, explain it. It was more. a coworker. I, I remember wanting to start my Instagram account. Eliza, I was working with her at WIM, and, and I said, I need to come up with a social media handle. It was such a, <laughs> such a simple ask, and we brainstormed a ton of different. And then she said, Sketch poetic. I went, Yep, that's it. Yep. Sketch poetic. So it, did, I, it didn't originate from me, but I embraced it as if it was my own. Yeah. And now you've got, um, that's a great way to find you too, right? So Sketch Poetic on all platforms. Pretty much and, if you search Sketch Poetic on all channels, yeah. you'll find me. You own the word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Trademark. What, <laughs> what is the one uh, change, whether it's a habit, a behavior, or something that you implemented that made your life better? I think that this answer is pretty obvious too. Yeah. Other than, you know, daily <laughs> sketching is obvious. But honestly, yeah. breathing, pay, paying attention to my breath, Nikki, with, with, mm. with sketching. When I sketch, yeah. I really pay attention to my breath. Mm. I hold my breath a lot. I don't know if you do, but it's very, either very shallow yeah. or I'm, I'm holding it. It's just, I can't help it. My body does what it does. That's how strong our body is. We think our minds are strong. Yeah. Our bodies are so strong. We have no idea. 
Yeah, I, uh, I, it's interesting you bring up the breathing thing because I actually realized that uh, I hold my breath during certain times and I really wasn't aware of it. And then someone actually mentioned it to me that was like, why are you holding your breath? And suddenly I became conscious and I realized I actually do it. Now it's gone because now I'm much more conscious of my breath. But it's fascinating how we have these habitual behaviors that are conditioned and we're not even remotely aware of it. It's when our bodies are trying to protect itself from not feeling safe. And when I'm not feeling safe, there's many reasons I don't feel safe. So anytime Mm -hmm. that moment, and again, like you said, we don't even know when our bodies don't feel safe. We know in here when we don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are so powerfully resilient at the same time. They are very, it's very uh, empathic if you pay Mm -hmm. attention to it. So oftentimes our body's way ahead of our head. And Mm -hmm. so we're already holding our breath and we don't know it until it's like... (sighs) (laughs) So I want to go off track a little bit because you mentioned uh, safety multiple times and feeling safe. You know, when we typically hear the idea of feeling safe or unsafe, we think in terms of physical harm or, you know, risk and all of that. What are some everyday ways in which that gets triggered that people may not even be aware of? I'm going to share a truth that somebody shared with me uh, in a room. It was with a psycho a psychologist that really profoundly impacted me. The answer is safety is whatever truth we want it to be. So the example that I'm going to give you is when somebody is hurting themselves, whether they're suffering from addiction or they're going through a challenging time and you're observing somebody you love doing something that you know is harming Mm -hmm. them. And my answer is let's love them. I want to show them love, love, love. What the psychologist said really, really changed my view about it. He said, Sheila, this person is feeling so unlovable. They don't feel loved. So you giving them love and telling them you love them is actually coming across as a lie Mm. because it's not their truth, right? And I, I was like, wow, that's so profound because I'm telling them I love you but they're feeling unlovable. So what they're going to say, think is that she's just saying that to make me feel Mm. better. So it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Yeah. This person doesn't. So going back to safety, it's very personal. It's very personal. I can't tell you what makes, that's why whenever I host a room or space, I will never say it's a safe space because what makes Mm. you feel safe, Nikki, is very different than what makes me feel safe. What I will say Mm. is it's going to be warm and inviting. I'm going to create that. Mm. But mm. again, that might not be safe for you. That might feel triggering, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm going to end with that because I think it's super, so, so profound because I've always been a promoter of love, 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 love. But if somebody is in the dis- moment of despair and they're having suicidal thoughts and the la- love is the opposite of what they're feeling, they're feeling super unlovable. You know what his answer was, which I loved and, and it's our go-to curiosity. Wow. I know it gives me, it gave me <laughs> chills. He, I asked yeah. him, I said, uh, it was Dr. Fareed, by the way. So I just yeah. want to give him a shout out. Um, so Dr. Fareed said, be curious. Instead of saying, I love you, say, I noticed this. How are you doing? That's mm. You don't need to no. tell them you love them. Uh, so yeah. I just want to share that curiosity in that situation. Again, very unique situation I gave mm-hmm. you, but that's an example of somebody that's feeling very unsafe. Mm-hmm. But th- that's a really valuable, uh, you know, piece of advice for 
even for people that don't often know how to deal with those situations, you know, uh, you and I have both experienced significant traumatic experiences. And it's hard enough for us being in that situation. But what was fascinating for me to observe during that time was how people around me felt uncomfortable and not knowing what to say to me. Right. And they either shut off because they don't know how to you know, like, what's the right way to say something or reach out? Like, I want to be helpful, but I don't have the right words. Just be curious, you know, come yeah. from a place Just- of like support and curiosity. And that's all it takes. So if you know someone in your life that is struggling or in the workplace that's struggling, simply approaching with curiosity will come across more sincere and authentic for them to, you know, reach out should they choose to. Yeah, I would put a precursor of genuine curiosity Yeah, because somebody will know if you're just asking questions to ask. And you yeah. know what I mean, it's where yeah. people are just asking for the sake of asking. Be genuine about it because the reason curiosity is so powerful, and, and I talk about this in my daily sketching practice, the moment the critic or judge is is showing up when I sketch and I'm thinking about my Instagram following or I'm thinking about, does this look good? Or am I thinking about, like, I wish I was doing something else other than this? All of the mm-hmm. reasons I... I, I ask myself, why are you feeling all those things? Genuinely mm. curious. And the moment I yeah. start to go down the path of curiosity, the critic and judge disappear. Mm. It's fascinating to watch. They, yeah. There's no room for them. They can't sit there with you in, in the act yeah. of curiosity. So you're too busy to questioning. Yeah. So it's the, best, it's the best catch-all for everything, really. Be curious. And on that note, I'm curious about if you were walking on a stage, what would your uh, power song be? <laughs> well, originally, I was thinking originally maybe Tina Turner from a dance move, but on but Beyonce's Who Runs the World. I mean, I'm all about girl power right now. And I also commend all the, you know, everything, non-binary, anybody who supports the, the there is definitely a movement towards women feminine empowerment energy. and not just lip service it's there it's happening yeah. we're the bridge builders and so yeah who beyonce baby who runs the world <laughs> we do <laughs> uh, well <laughs> sheila it's been so great to have you uh, again and i think we should make this a regular event right um of you know because so much in the world outside changes but so does it in our world so we need to keep having these conversations and share uh, wisdom with the world. And um, I am excited for everyone to get a copy of this amazing book, a tool for your self-care and to, you know, bring healing and transformation into your world. So and I'm going to uh, UK cover because there's a UK version too. Oh, that's awesome. I love the colors. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sheila. And uh, I can't wait for this episode to come out and for everyone to enjoy this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend about it and subscribe to get new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. See you next episode.